Hello, church. Here I am. <laughs> it is so great to see you here in Lenexa, our Speedway campus, and the many people that are watching online. I want to begin with the story of three children. Their names are Shanzay, Shanjay, uh, Sinterica, and Erica, and their biological parents really struggled. Uh, they got into drugs that ultimately led them to homelessness. Uh, there were many times when the three children with their mom and dad were eating uh, dinner out of trash cans. Uh, there were sightings of machetes and knives held to throats by the hands of an abusive father who had lost his way. And when um, the children were in a really young age, they were placed uh, five years ago into the foster care system and they began to move from home to home. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel, who was only two years old at the time, over the last five years has been in 20 different homes uh, in his little life. But truthfully, uh, there are stories all over the world that are very, very similar to the plight of these three children. As a matter of fact, the United Nations estimates 60 million children and infants have been abandoned by their families and live on their own in orphanages in the world. These are people who have lost hope. These are people who have no idea how they're going to get out of this mess. These are people who don't believe that anybody is coming. And right now, I want you to enter into their story. And I want you to imagine the trauma in their hearts. I want you to imagine the terror in their hearts. And then I want you to imagine that these children are your children, that these children are your grandchildren. But the reality is you don't have to be in such dire straits to feel abandoned, disconnected, alone, or afraid. As a matter of fact, many of you watching this right now, either in the room or watching online or Speedway, you feel that way right now. Maybe it's not as intense as these three children or the 60 million children around the world, but nonetheless, you feel disconnected and abandoned and alone and afraid. And here's the deal. The way things are in the 21st century are exactly the way things were in the first century. The same kind of trials, the same kind of abandonment. When out of nowhere, something new emerges. No one saw it coming. It's called the church. The church was born. I want to tell you the story. It's found in the book of Acts in the New Testament in chapters 1 and 2. Now, looking back 50 days before this event, the founding of the church in Acts chapter 2, the 12 disciples of Jesus were nowhere to be found on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Nowhere to be found. As a matter of fact, Peter, the lead disciple, denied he even knew Jesus the night before in front of a junior high student. That's how lack little courage he had. Now, 50 days later, these disciples are in Jerusalem and they are frightened and they are in a room called the upper room where Jesus told them to stay until something came to them. They weren't 100% sure what it was. And then it happened. During a festival called the Festival of Pentecost, it happened. The Holy Spirit that had descended upon Jesus during his baptism, 
that empowered him to do the miracles and the healing and ultimately raised him from the dead, that same Holy Spirit is now descending in that upper room and is indwelling all 120 disciples to empower them in the same way, not only to live their life in an empowered and strong and bold way, but ultimately at the end of the day, it'll be that same Holy Spirit through their faith in Jesus Christ that raises them from the dead to live eternally in God's kingdom. This is a big day. A new thing has happened. Now Peter, after experiencing the Holy Spirit, he goes downstairs from the upper room. He opens up the doors into this bustling city. Historians tell us that on a normal day, there might have been 100,000 people in Jerusalem. But on this day, because of the Jewish festival of Pentecost, there might be upwards to a million people. And this guy who just 50 days earlier denied he even knew Jesus in the face of a junior high student is now speaking out boldly onto the streets this good news about Jesus Christ, and something happened after he was done speaking that has never happened for me. After he finishes his talk about the good news of Jesus, 3,000 people receive the message and become followers of Jesus Christ. In one sermon, they move from a small church of 120 to a mega church of 3,120. So question, where do you put 3,120 people when you don't own any buildings? The answer, they form smaller little micro gatherings all over the city of Jerusalem. Historians tell us that on that day, likely a little over 100 little communities were honeycombed throughout Jerusalem. Here's a picture just to give you an idea of what that might look like. Here's the city of Jerusalem with these little pods of followers of Jesus Christ. Now, Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47, is a very important paragraph in the pages of the Bible because it gives us a sneak peek into the dining room experience of what this church, this first church was all about. If you have your Bibles, you can open up, open up to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. Or if you have your uh, phone, the Westside app, I'm going to say it over and over again, you're going to need it. The very front page says gathering notes. Click on that. You'll have all the links, all the notes, including this passage of scripture, important passage of scripture that I want to read to you now. It begins, they, meaning those, these early disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Tucked into this one paragraph in scripture is what I am calling the Acts 2 revolution. It was a revolution. Let me explain what I mean. In Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. This church began by creating a sense of belonging, a loving community. So it began by creating a place of love or a loving community 
for everyone. Several households would come together to support one another as an extended spiritual family, all rooted in Jesus, and that's important. They essentially did life together. Then in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to um, the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Each of these God pods, if you would, were committed to engaging God primarily through the word and primarily through prayer. And as a result, they had a goal of becoming like Jesus. So this loving community where they started were committed to the apostles' teaching and prayer with the goal of becoming like Jesus. They understood that collectively they were extending the presence and purpose of Christ on earth. And as a community, as they were taking Jesus in, it was transforming them literally day by day into a new creation, into new people who were living distinctively different lives than they lived prior to knowing Jesus. Instead of pouring out the toxic love to each other prior to knowing Christ, now they're pouring out the pure, toxic, free love that Christ was depositing into them, and it was making their communities dynamic. But it didn't stop there inside the room. Acts 2.45 says that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What was happening to this loving community who was day by day becoming more like Jesus, what was happening is generosity was welling up with inside of them and eventually it had to come out. So sacrificially and unconditionally, they begin to meet the needs of each other in that small pod as well as go outside of their homes and meet the needs of the people right around them who were hurting and most of them far from God. What they were doing, this loving community who was becoming like Jesus, they began to share Jesus. They began to share what he was depositing into them, into each other, and to those right around him. And here's the deal. They were not expecting anything in return. This is key. They were merely paying forward what Christ had deposited in them. And as a result, at the end of the paragraph, we read this sentence. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As the church was filled with people, with hope and joy, they began to meet the needs of the people right around them, and the people in the community began to gossip. They began to whisper, what's up with these people? Certainly, they have an agenda. Certainly, they have an agenda. But over time, they realized there was no agenda These people were sacrificially and unconditionally simply paying forward what Christ was depositing in them and eventually the people around them would approach them and they would ask, is there any way that I can become a part of your family? And the answer for the church was always yes regardless of where that person had been. As a matter of fact, many of the people were belonging to the community before they actually believed in Jesus. But as they spent time with this loving community that was committed to becoming more like Jesus, eventually it dawned on them what Jesus did for them, and eventually they would say yes, and they would receive the forgiveness of sin. And at that moment, they would become members of God's family that met in this little microsite. And in this way, 
the revolution is complete. It's a revolution. It's not only a circle, but we see that it becomes a moment because this didn't just happen once in Jerusalem. We are told that every single day, 365 days a year, at least one person, if not more, was coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And this circle began to spin out of control. And this becomes the Acts 2 revolution. Historians tell us that by the end of the first century, even in the midst of intense persecution against them, what began with 120 people ended up being over 100,000 followers of Jesus meeting in little God pods honeycombed throughout Jerusalem. Historians tell us by AD 350, when they still had no buildings, no church buildings, that the church grew from this marginalized guy named Jesus who was the son of a carpenter from the poor city of Nazareth. Then it went to 12 people, 12 ordinary guys, ragamuffin band of followers, and then it went to 120, 3,000, 100,000. And by AD 350, historians tell us that the church had grown to 33,800,000 plus people and had won 56.5% of the entire Western world. This, my friends, is a legit revolution. So here's the dream. What God did then, we believe he can do again. We do. What God did in the first century we are believing with all of our might he not only can, but he wants to do again in the 21st century. I believe that. The question is, do you? Do you believe that? So we are dreaming such a dream at Westside. And we decided to summarize it on a little bracelet that we've handed out to each of you, five little symbols, so that everybody can be crystal clear as to the direction that God is calling us. You might have received one when you came in. I encourage you to go get one now or uh, receive one on your way out. And if you're watching online, you are a part of the Westside family. If you so choose to be, go to the Westside app. And when you see this um, a uh, little bracelet, click on it. There's a form you can fill out and our volunteers will mail it to you. It's been so encouraging to hear of the number of people all over the world who are receiving this bracelet and they are wearing it. By the way, it's a fashion statement. You know, it's gray, man. Gray goes with everything, right? But not only that, it contains five symbols that enables us to share all things in common. The word out of Acts chapter 2, all things in common, is just one word in the Greek language, koinonia. We need to be on the same page, share all things in common. And so these five symbols mean something. We not only want you to be able to memorize it and to shout it out loud, but over time, we want it to become a visceral experience of what the calling of our life is all about. And so the first symbol is of a group of people, and it represents our identity. And so when we ask the question, who are we? Your response is, say it with me, we are God's family. The second icon is of a cross with a circle around it, three different colors representing our mission. Why do we exist? It's seven words, three of them Jesus. And when we ask the question, why do we exist? The church shouts out, 
loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus. The third icon is a house with a cross right in the middle of it. When we ask the question of vision, what are we trusting God for? When we look five, ten years down the road, how is the world going to be different then than it is today? We state our unified vision of what we're trusting God for. When I ask the question, what are we trusting God for? You shout out, ready? To raise up Christ-centered families. Now, when we ask the question of where, you see this little globe here, the world with the city of Kansas City. When we ask the question where, are we going to see this happen? You shout out, ready? In our city and beyond. And then the final one, which is where we're at today, is that house again in the very center with the cross in it, representing a Christ-centered family with two supportive circles around it. And this represents our strategy. When someone asks you, how in the world are you going to do that? We shout out these words, ready? By wrapping God's family around your family. And when you put it all together, it's just one sentence. You may have it memorized by now. We're gonna put it up on the screen. It's in your notes. Ah, But if you got it memorized, don't even look. I'm not gonna look, okay? We're gonna put it all together. When someone asks us, what does Westside Family Church share in common? A common identity, a common mission, a common vision, a common strategy. We shout out from memory, but more so from our heart, these words. Ready? If you know it, say it with me. We are God's family, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus, to raise up Christ-centered families in our city and beyond by wrapping God's family around your family. Boom! There it is. It's super exciting. This is what the first church was all about And this is what we're wanting our church to be all about. This new family of believers were daily being transformed into the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Then they spent their time wrapping God's family around your family. Whatever your family looked like, wherever your family was at, whatever mess you were in. It looked a little bit like this. Oh, I get to play a little deal here. Some of the kids are just really super excited about it. Take a look at this. So here is a family. And we're gonna make it a family with two kids. Got that. And uh, maybe this family's hurting. Wow, we know that they can't make it when they're all alone. In the first century, they were living in a neighborhood in Jerusalem. Then out of nowhere, this community emerges, this spiritual family emerges. And all they simply did was they began to wrap God's family See this? They simply began to wrap God's family around this family. That's what they did. And that family, that household could look like anything. It could be one without any children at all. It could be one where maybe the husband is gone. Maybe something happened to him. And it can even be one, as the story we first told, where mom and dad are gone and there's just two children that are hurting and all alone. And what the first century church did is they simply came alongside and wrapped God's family around that family. You know, the strategy for the church, it's not that complicated. Jesus created it. The strategy for the church, we give out family hugs. I can't wait for COVID to be done so we can actually physically do it, but we do it spiritually. The strategy of the church from Jesus himself was simply to give out family hugs because at the end of the day, Jesus knew that love wins. 
He knows that love wins. And this, at the very core, has been what Westside Family Church has always been about. And I'm here to announce to you that it's going to continue to be what we're about in the future, but we're hoping to take it to a whole nother level in these desperate times that we are living in, that people might uh, see God in and through us, and at the end, we are believing that love is going to win. Love is going to win. And I wanna show you a modern day picture of this very thing. Today, let me go back to the story of Shanze, Senterica, and Ezekiel. Fast forward to 2018, Shanze is 10 years old, Senterica is eight years old, and they are in a foster home together as sisters. Ezekiel, who's now five years old in 2018, is in a separate home, his 20th home in his five short years. The foster family that has Shanze and Senterica is tired, they're worn out, and they send the two girls back into the system. And this is when Melissa and Brent Larson, an awesome Westside family, receives the call and asks if they would take in these two girls. And the family, because of the vision that stirs in their heart, basically wanted to know were there any other siblings were there any other siblings so that they might keep them together? And uh, they learned of little Ezekiel. And as it turned out, the foster family that had Ezekiel was also sending him back into the system to experience his 21st home in his five little years. And the Larson family decided to take in all three. Here's a picture of the Larson family. Um, I don't know if we showed that. There we go. And now here's the picture of the Larson family with the three. It's a beautiful picture. They simply wrapped their family around this broken family. But we know that fostering is very, very hard. Take a look at this. Nationally, 50% of foster parents drop out after 10 months. And I say this because there's a lot of families at Westside who have been foster families before. Your heart was in the right spot, but it wore you down. It, 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 it created so much disruption, and you feel guilty that you got out of it, but it was really a struggle. And I don't want you to feel guilty because it is very, very hard. And here's what we discovered. If we can create a wraparound community around the foster parents, it can be a game changer. Listen to the statistics. 96% who have a wraparound community of support are still fostering after three years. 50% are dropping out after 10 months on their own. Now 96% with this support community are still fostering after three years. 93% are still fostering after six years. And so here's what happened to these girls. The Larson family wrapped their family around them and then a group of Westsiders who I'm calling an A2 community, a group of believers who have partnered together to live out the vision of Acts chapter two. They decided to come alongside and adopt the Larson family and to wrap their family around the Larsons who are wrapping their family around Shanze, Sinterica, and Erica. And we're gonna show you a picture of what that looks like. It looks awful a lot like the first century. They helped in the most tangible ways. 
They take a meal to them on Monday nights, every Monday night. They're transporting these seven kids all over the city, right? Um, they are spotted putting beds together. They now need seven beds, and they're helping them. Um, there was uh, not enough iPads uh, for all the children to have access to education, and they uh, found two used iPads and got them set up for the family. Just tangible ways, any way they can provide support to the Larsons who are wrapping their love around this family. And, uh, and when I asked the Larson family, they said, in a word, they are family, that we now have support from spiritual grandparents, spiritual aunts and uncles, and spiritual cousins. Here's my deal. Repeat this scene a million times Game over. Jesus wins. Love wins. Satan, hatred, violence, abuse, abandonment loses. And all of God's people said? Amen. 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 We have a vision to wrap a small community like this, an A2 community around every single foster family in Kansas City. And frankly, any family anywhere in the United States because you don't have to live in Kansas City to be and to form an A2 community. And so if you're interested in that, uh, our team is ready to talk to you. We have several of them already up and running. You can simply go to the app or go to our website or after the service, talk to our folks and they can tell you how you can get set up for this. We are doing it. Randy and Roseanne are already doing it. Speed of the leader, speed of the team. But the reality is it's not just orphans who need a wraparound community. Even though Jesus and his brother James said it must be your priority, James chapter one and verse 27. But in that same passage of scripture, he says not only do orphans need a wraparound community, but so do widows. Those are two priorities, the lost, the last, and the least. But the reality is every single one of us needs a wraparound community. Randy Frazee needs support. None of us can go it alone. Imagine with me if in Kansas City, or every city for that matter, in the United States or anywhere in the world looked like the first century with hundreds and hundreds of micro churches all over the place. Let's take a look at Jerusalem again. Now imagine that's Kansas City. Imagine that's San Antonio. Imagine that's Des Moines. Imagine that's Michoacan, Mexico, where we already have a band of believers who are living life out this way. May their tribe increase. But as we do, make sure we keep the ultimate goal in mind. It is the last sentence of the paragraph. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People far from God, people who are hurting, people who don't believe anybody is coming are invited into God's eternal family and they accept. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you consider yourself in the class of an everyone, please raise your hand. Is anybody excluded from the class of the everyone? No, we are all a part of the everyone. Everyone, regardless of where you have been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the color of your skin, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, everyone. Nothing brings a divine smile on the face of the Father more than when someone receives his son and the forgiveness of sins. 
and then decides to take that internal decision and make it public by being baptized. And the Bible tells us at the moment that we make that decision, the same Holy Spirit that descended upon Jesus that empowered his life, the same Holy Spirit that descended upon us when we gave our lives to Christ is the same Holy Spirit that descends upon everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord so that they can be empowered to live the life that God intended to them regardless of where they have been in the past. Give me an amen for that. Last Sunday on our Lenexa campus, we held a worship and prayer event out on the lawn, and many of you were there. It was a divine experience. And in that experience, while we were lifting our hands in worship and demonstrating our dependence upon God, uh, there were a number of people off to the sides who were being baptized, doing just this. And if you weren't there, I want to give you a peek into that experience. This is an evening where you can clap your hands, you can honk your horn, you can do whatever you want as long as it's all in the name of Jesus. Amen? Jesus said, I will build my church, say it with me, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are on a winning team. We know how this story ends. COVID-19 has nothing on us because we have Jesus as our quarterback. Amen? to him with your hands lifted high. He needs you to come to him unashamedly. He wants you to come to him in prayer. He wants you to seek him in direction for your daily life. He wants you to humble yourself before him. Give him your life. Give him your heart all over again, if not for the first time, over and over again.
So here's the challenge that I issue before you to invite all Westsiders to join the Acts 2 revolution. That what God did in the first century, he can and wants to do in the 21st century through us. For you to provide a loving community for the support that you need to make it, to not go it alone. Some of you are going it alone and it's messing you up. For you to join in in providing a support community for other brothers and sisters in Christ for the support that they need, that God would use you in that way. And then collectively, you guys would then go outside and you'd begin to meet the needs of anyone who had need with the generosity that is welling up in you for people who are far from God, for people who are hurting, for people who do not believe anybody is coming on. I invite you into the Acts 2 revolution. And the first step is for you to sign up for this Acts 2 revolution experience. It's a six-week video-based experience where you can take a look at why this is important, what it is, and how to actually live it out in daily life with real people. And at the end of the six weeks, if you believe God is stirring you to join it, then you can make the decision to sign in. You can do it with your family. Ideally, you might invite another family, another household to, to, to do it with you. It could be a group of guys, a group of women. It could be a few single uh, people that come together and say, hey, let's do this together to see what God might be up to. It could be your existing small group or life group. It could be a group of people to go through this six-week experience together. And so you can sign up for that by going to the app. You'll see it. It's all over the place. We are all up into your business trying to get you to sign up for this experience. And we are trusting that God is going to do something amazing. And here's the deal coming from my life. Roseanne and I have been married for 39 years. And we have never once had a season where we did not have a wraparound community supporting us. And as a result, our lives have been blessed. And the patterns that could have emerged in our life to take us off course and leave us into a dark place didn't happen because we had people in our lives that kept us on course. And you need that for your life as well. Now here's the deal I need to be totally honest with you about. We are betting the farm on you. We're betting the farm on you. We are not betting the farm that a couple of good speakers can come up here and preach their heart out and win the day for the church. I am working my heart out up here, right? But we're not betting the farm on me. We're not betting the farm on our buildings. Ha, we can have another pandemic. Can't even use the building. You can't bet the farm on the buildings. We're not even betting the farm on our programs. Even the students and children's program, as awesome as they are and as awesome as they will continue to be, that's not what we're betting the farm on. We are betting the farm on you. We're betting the farm that you will step out and you will form these little A2 communities all over Kansas City. And you don't have to live in Kansas City to join us for this experience. You can create these anywhere. We currently do not have a plan B. We have nothing else in the pipeline. If you don't sign up to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we don't have another strategy that says, what if you did a kabuka dance, Randy, while you gave your message? Maybe that would bring people in, you know? You know, that's not going to... We are betting the farm on you. So I ask you the question... Will you join us?
Bible says that pastors are given to the church to equip you for the work of the ministry. We cannot simply get there by you coming in a room and looking at the backs of each other's heads. You gotta get together in a circle and get serious for Jesus. For your own sake, for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and for the sake of people who don't believe anybody is coming. So I ask you again, are you in? Please, sign up. Give it a try. Trust God. We are believing that what he did then, he wants to do now. And all of God's people said, amen. We're gonna enter into a time of worship right now where you get a chance to respond to this. Our worship team is gonna be coming out to lead us into some beautiful songs. Our prayer partners will also be available during the singing right here in the front and our Speedway campus and, and available to all of you who are watching online. Just reach out to them for any requests that you have. Maybe today is the day you would like to say yes to Jesus. They would love to teach you and talk to you about what that means. And today you can receive it and become a member of the family of God. Maybe some of you uh, have never been baptized. I got good news for you. Next Sunday on this stage right here and in our Speedway stage, we're going to do baptisms in the service. And some of you have already signed up. You can sign up for baptisms. And you can also, if you're watching online, reach out to Pastor Jason and he will tell you how you can sign up as well or maybe make the trek here to Mecca, to Kansas City, and to get baptized. We would love to meet you and to see you. Or maybe you just brought a burden into this room this morning. Maybe a burden. Maybe you are been going it alone and you have a burden, or a burden for someone else, these prayer partners would love to wrap God's family around your family. For those of you watching online, I want you to stay connected because I'm gonna go back and hang out with Pastor Jason in just a moment to answer any questions you have and connect with you personally. Uh, but right now, I'm gonna ask everybody to stand as we enter into this time of worship, and let me offer a word of prayer to you. Father, we come to you now. We are so grateful for the freedom we have to worship you openly and that, Father, we intend to do. We respond to the urgings of your spirit within us. And now I pray, Father, if there's someone who needs to receive you for the very first time, I pray that they would have the courage to step out and enter into that relationship with you. Father, I pray for anybody who has brought a burden into this room, anybody who's brought a burden into this, into this space online, I pray, Father, that they would reach out to one of our prayer partners. And, Father, leave that burden with you. And now, Father, as we enter into this worship, receive it from our heart as dependent people before you as we cry out in worship. And all of God's people said.